Welcome to the Prophecy Club. Our topic today is Pharaoh Drowned in the Red Sea, Part 2. Now, yesterday, I did not have any pictures from the book. And instead, this is uh, information that I've collected over the years. But these today are going to be pictures from the book. This is proof that the Bible really, really is true. Now, let me just say, if you're thinking, do I need to see this? No, I don't need to see this because I've already received Jesus. I'm already Christian. If that's what you're thinking, then with all kindness, I think that's the wrong attitude. I think that our attitude needs to be not, do I need to see proof the Bible is true? Because I don't, because you're probably already a Christian. But instead, again, I'm called to raise up an army of end-time prophecy teachers working miracles, and to that degree... We are supposed to be winning souls. So if you are a watchman, and you are if you're watching this, and if you're a soul winner, and you are if you're watching this, then I encourage you to get this so that you can convince the person that normally would not be convinced that the Bible is true, that Jesus really is the only way to heaven. In other words, this is not for you. This book and DVD is for you to use to win people to the Lord Jesus. This is the book I'm talking about. Now, the difference between the book and the DVD is this. The book is mostly pictures. It's 157 pages, 8.5 by 11, high-resolution pictures. It is so clear. It looks like you're holding the photograph, the original photograph in your hand. It's very high quality. And, of course, it means it costs more, okay? And then the DVD is actually 3.5 hours. It's widescreen. And this is the explanation You'll need this for you to learn. And believe me, there's a lot to learn in this. It's extremely good. The DVD is, is one of the best I've ever seen in my life. So the DVD explains the pictures in the book. So this is kind of, here's what you're going to say to people that are atheists or non-believers or off in the world or something like that. You're trying to convince to come to Jesus. This is your, the words you say along with this book. If they will look at the, the DVD and the book, there's no question. For lots of good reasons, we can prove the Bible is true. We can prove it is true. And that's the reason God has put this out, so that we can do it. So I encourage you to get it. Now, the DVD is a gift of $50. The book is a gift of $75. But don't get either one of them. Get both of them, both of them for a gift of $100. Believe me when you see it. You, your eyes are going to pop right out. This is really, really good stuff. This is so good, I'll probably be using this in sports stadiums down the road to win thousands upon thousands of people to Jesus. Likewise, you can do the same thing. Here's what's in the book. This is a brief overview. It covers Noah's Ark, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Red Sea Crossing, which we're going to continue talking about today, and Mount Sinai and Ark of the Covenant. We've already covered Noah's Ark, and here's a picture of it. About the eight people survived the worldwide flood. About how it rained 40 days, 40 nights. They survived by getting on a boat. They stayed on a boat 150 years, or 150 days. Then Sodom and Gomorrah. This is a picture of part of the buildings of Sodom and Gomorrah. One thing that's true in nature, you do not find straight lines, 90-degree angles, or circles. It does not happen in nature. But you can see here, this is proof that this is man-made. This is not just some random structure out there. Also, if you'll notice, this is dirt in the background, but this was all covered with brimstone or with balls of sulfur. 
I've got some. I'm not prepared to show them with you right, to you right now, but we've covered that before. All of that is in the book of the DVD. And it talks about how God rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah from fire from the Lord out of heaven. means that just another dimension, uh, uh, literally a window opened in heaven, and the, the brimstone came down and hit the city. Today, we're going to talk about Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. Now, this is pictured Leslie and I in 1991 when we went to uh, Israel to go and see all of this stuff with Ron White on this archaeology tour. But you've got to get this book in DVD. Everything that I'm about to show you today, these pictures are all in the book. This is a picture of Kevin, and he's standing next to a pillar, and Leslie and I have been there. We have seen this pillar. And this was found on the seashore, laying over on the side. Ron Wyatt believes that this there was one on the entrance side and on the exit side of the Red Sea, marking the entrance and the exit where the children of Israel crossed during the days of the Pharaoh. Anyway, this is further proof, but we're going to show you lots of proof. It's granite, big granite pillar there, marking the spot. It says here at Nueva, we look at the, up at the top of a 16-foot red granite pillar erected by Solomon. Its machining pillar was across the gulf and had the Hebrew words Moses, Pharaoh, Death, Yahweh, Mizram, or Egypt, Solomon, Edom, and water. So from that, they conclude that this was marking the exit point. This was found on the Saudi Arabia side, and uh, we're going to continue to look at some other things. This is where, now it was actually discovered out here in, in the, near the waters, but the uh, government moved it up here so that people could see it. Found laying in the water at the beach, the column was moved in this location in 1978 after Mr. Wyatt pointed out to Israeli military. This is looking back at the beach from the Gulf. So when they got to the far side of crossing Red Sea, this is what the children of Israel saw, except for there was no water. It was dry. They walked through a dry ground. They got over here, and then, of course, the water from the other side came crashing in. This is now looking across the waters from the crossing site, the Saudi Arabia side, in the distance. So that shows you that it's about 20 miles across there. So this is no small feat. 20 miles all the way across there. This is looking from Saudi Arabia over towards Egypt. So this is the exit point looking towards the entrance point. I think this is one of the fascinating parts. And throughout this book, it has an explanation. But if this did not have the explanation, here's what would happen. You and I, if we were to walk to this beach, we would say, well, man, this is unusual. How come this beach doesn't have sand? And the little explanation down there reads, the pillar of fire stood here and melted the sand and rocks together and turned this into hardened concrete. So, <laughs> I mean, how do you get sand that has been heated to where it's almost like glass along with the water and the rocks? I mean, how do you get like a beach that has been heated up like that? Obviously, from the power of God. To the left, there's one of the divers there, and he is showing you part of the, the hubs. See, because as we read yesterday, the Bible said that when the children of Israel got almost all the way across, then the Lord removed the pillar of fire so that the Egyptians could come in. But they started catching them too fast. 
So the Lord removed the chariot wheels from the chariots so that they drave heavily. In other words, the horses were having to drag the chariots with no wheels on them to slow them down, to give the, uh, the, to give the children of Israel time to go ahead and get all the way over on the, on the far side. Now that means if this is true, you would find chariot wheels, but not on chariots. You would find the cabs, if there, if there was any metal ones, but you wouldn't find any wheels on them. And that's what Ron Wyatt found. He found wheels off of the chariots. Here's another picture of a wheel. Now, it's actually a six-pointed wheel. Okay, so here's the outside. And then here's a spoke, 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 spoke. And then here's the hub of the wheel. He saw these a lot of places. Now, if it was taken off, then you would expect to find a wheel like this. And then the axle and then another wheel up here. Now, again, this was like 3,000 years ago. So this has been setting in water for 3,000 years. You can't expect it to look like it just came off of a chariot. The writing says each chariot wheel has a center hub with metal. As confirmed by metal, detec metal detectors, at right is an eight-spoke wheel that was only used during the 18th dynasty, the time of the exodus verified by Egyptian antiquities authorities. This is a gold-plated chariot wheel, 180 foot deep, found by Danny White. Probably this was the Pharaoh's wheel on the Pharaoh's chariot that was probably a golden chariot. Probably someplace down there, that whole golden chariot, well, at least was once down there, unless someone's removed it. Probably a whole golden chariot. If they found that one, they probably removed it. Also, they found human bones down there. Now, what are you going to do with finding a whole lot of human bones? Well, it could be a ship, shipwreck. But in that they found chariot wheels off of the chariots with a bunch of human bones, it says here to the left, human femur bone, right with coral, regular bone on the left. And here's a horse's hoof that was shriveled up after removing it from the water. So how do you get horses, chariot wheels, and human bones 150 feet under salt water out in the Red Sea? How do you explain that? The answer is the exodus. Here's a femur bone cross-section to your left and to the right, another uh, bone, uh, another human bone that they found. This is some of the equipment that they used, uh, this ROV, to go down and look at these things. As you can see, it's kind of a handmade ROV, uh, working on a budget, unfortunately, as most Christians have to. It is difficult to find chariot wheels on the Egyptian side of the crossing site, but we did get an image here of a round object that could be attached to an axle. It appears to have a raised center hub. I think he's talking about this right here. This is the regular rock that would normally appear there, but the top part of Mount Sinai is all black. Now, they didn't say it here, and I don't call them saying it on the DVD either, but I remember, I believe it was Jim and Penny Caldwell. Again, I... As I said yesterday, Leslie and I spent an entire weekend with Jim and Penny Caldwell. They're the ones that found the real Mount Sinai. They're the discoverers of it. And they said, well, one of the interesting things is you can take the rocks there and bang them up together so that they break. And it, it looks kind of like a coconut in that the outside is black, but the inside is still red. In other words, it's rocks like this, the normal rocks, but they were superheated. 
and so that the outside is blackened. So all of this up here was blackened by the power of God. Kind of interesting, huh? Now Mount Sinai was all in a smoke because the Lord has descended upon it in a fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently, Exodus nineteen eighteen. So you can see the difference between normal and burned mountain. Here's a fellow standing out here taking pictures, and it says, Altar at the base of the mountain. And, of course, there's uh, this, what looks to be like a, a, uh, a place probably where they kept the mountains for, or the, the animals for sacrifice. As you see a little door here where they did their sacrifices. Here's another uh, aerial shot, remains of a white marble pillars for a shrine erected by Solomon. Four drone stills are all spliced together to show us a nice overview of the coral area, corral area, that leads down to the five altars at the bottom, again, where they kept the animals for sacrifice. So I encourage you to get the DVD and the book, Gift of $100. Again, it's not for you. It's for you to use to win people to the Lord Jesus. So would you give $100 to win a soul? Would you give $100 to keep people out of hell? Of course you would. These are um, white marble remains from pillars, coral, in the background, because it says that when, uh, the Bible says that when Moses got there, they set up these pillars re representing the different, uh, different tribes of the children of Israel, 12 of them. Here's the uh, cave. Right here is what they believe was Elijah's cave. Here's a close-up of it. I believe this to be Elijah's cave there. Kind of interesting, huh? You might be saying, well, that's not much of a cave. Well, to get out of the hot sun in that area, that might be a very, very nice cave. A little cooler. If nothing else, just get out of the hot sun. Here's a picture from inside the cave looking down into the valley. Below carvings near the base of mountain of Apis, bulls, and at right, the dancing rebels. All of this high-resolution photographs. Now, if you'll look at these, you'll see that they all have this design on them. And then here's pictures of people dancing. So this is people of antiquity trying to say that this is where the children of Israel made the molten calf. And that's a picture of the cows of that day. And then they, they worshiped them. They were dancing uh, and worshiping Moloch, and that's when Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, saw them, broke the Ten Commandments, and killed the 3,000 people that were worshiping Baal. Another picture, golden calf altar with the view of Mount Sinai in the background. So this is what they believe, the altar that they probably put that golden calf on. Now, I know that might not look like it's very big, but if you look down here, see this fence going all the way around here? That lets you know that's a big altar. And that took people that were able to move very large stones. Of course, people coming out of Egypt had been building the pyramids. So they're used to being able to move very large, heavy objects. So that's not a problem for them. Ancient Egyptian cattle at the altar of the molten calf. If you'll see, they all have this strange like pattern on them. Here's another picture of it. See the way it have this strange pattern here? This is from the, the pier, inside the pyramids, and this is what? So it's, it's, it's ancient people trying to tell us 
that yes, this is where they worship the golden calf. View from the blackened mountain looking down, so you can see it's all black here, and then you can see that there's nothing out here that looks blackened like that. Plateau on the mountain where the 70 elders met with Moses. This is what they think happened. In other words, up on top of this big mountain, which takes like three days climbing to get up here. So this is no small feat. So for three million people to, of course, only Moses went to the very top. But three million people to get across the Red Sea and up to this thing, that was no small feat. Dr. David Kim points to the oldest image of the golden lampstand ever found. Why would this be the oldest? Why would a lampstand that is near Mount Sinai be the oldest carving that they believe they've ever found? Well, because who made the lampstand? That would be Moses and his artificers. So these were the people that saw the lampstand and the Ark of the Covenant when it was first made. They're the ones that made it. So does it make sense to say that that carving might be the oldest one? Probably. Do we know that for sure? No, but probably. These are various artifacts found by him in the camp. Now, if you'll take a second, this is where the book is so nice, because you can actually take as long as you want and look at that photograph. Because you and I look at that and we say, so, but you don't understand, there's actually a lot there. When... When Ron Wyatt said he was following the children of Israel Israel, as they walked around, in other words, for 40 years, they walked from camp to camp from time to time. The pillar would move, and they would have to take up camp, and they'd have to move. And so they wandered through the wilderness, which is what we call today Saudi Arabia, for 40 years. So from time to time, they would move. And he said, so I would follow them as they moved from place to place. And I said, Ron, how'd you follow them? He said, well, following three million people in the desert is not difficult at all. Yes, I know you'd think that, well, the sand would cover the tracks, and it has. But things break. Pottery breaks. And he said, they don't have any kind of a trash can. He said, so they just drop it in the sand. And it's so dry and arid that even though it's 3,000 years old, you can still find it. He says, following three million people, their wives, their children, their cattle, walking through the desert, not hard at all. And these are the kind of artifacts that were found having to do with this exodus. All of those can probably ex- be explained by somebody. Now, obviously we see here is a mortar and a pestle. There's all kinds of jars to hold water and oil and spices. However, if you look at this, this is probably a row of mortars and pestles. We see some arrowheads. Like that right there, I've got one of those. That is a sling stone. Because we think of a sling stone to be about the size of maybe a large marble. No. Sling stone was as big as my fist. And it was nice and round because they put it in this long sling with a a string with a pocket at the end of it. And then they threw that around their head. And that thing got to going a couple of hundred miles an hour. And the Bible says in one place that people were left-handed and they could hit basically an eye, the bird, an eye of a bird. They were very accurate with it. We wouldn't think that that's much of a weapon, but actually it's quite a bit of weapon. So there's a lot of proof to show that they know what they're talking about here. The, here's another one. Bible says that in Exodus 15:27 they came to Elam and we were there. 
I've been, I've seen this. Leslie and I were there in 1991, where there are 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees, and then camped there. And guess what? They're still there today. Now, what's so interesting is because this is extremely arid. It's a big desert, Saudi Arabian desert. But all of a sudden, you come upon this place where there's palm trees and it's green, and there's 12 wells. Well, <laughs> that's a big deal, and it's not hard to find at all because everything else is just dry. All of a sudden, here's this water, and it's very needed in the area. This is one of the, the big things that proves that they know what they're talking about. Bible says Moses lifted up his hand and his rod smote the rock twice and the water came out abundantly. Numbers 2011 says turning off the paved road and driving through the desert nine miles, we finally found the 60 foot tall monolith that Moses struck. 60 foot tall and a testimony of God's provision for his people, giving them water of life. Now, you and I look at that rock, we would not think, boy, water's going to come out of that. Man, there's a lot of water in there. Let's go up there. Because there's a lot of water right there's a rock. Well, the water didn't come from underneath the ground, underneath that rock. This, All of this will show you, the book and the DVD, you got to get it. It'll show you what really happened. Moses really came up and struck that rock. And up in here, what you can't see here, towards the top, there is a big round area. About the size of a large beach ball. Apparently... The water was created out of thin air up in the top part of the rock. It didn't come from the bottom up. It, it was created in the top part of that rock, in the crack of that rock, supernaturally. It was a miracle. Here's other pictures of the rock. Now, this is looking up into the crevice. And this is uh, looking down on the crevice where they took a, uh, a drone and put fluid up over it. So they're now looking down. This is looking up into the crevice. And where right up in here was where they say this. You might be able to see it right there. That might be the little area where the water was created up at the top of it. Huge rock. You wouldn't think that'd be a place to find water. But that was where God decided to make all water. It says above Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. Exodus 17 15 says altar shown in the foreground back down in here altar now the western gentile mind thinks that an altar should be of nice square bricks but the bible said that if they lift a a tool against the the brick or against the rock then it's polluted it so they had to find rocks that would stack on each other but they had not had any kind of a tool against them. So finding rocks that would stack, that are flat like that, that is, trust me, I mean, it's no easy thing because most of the rocks are more in the round shape than the flat brick shape, and so they would have to hunt for miles and miles. It took many, many people and many, many hours to find that particular, uh, enough bricks to make that altar. So that was actually quite a feat. Here's another picture of the rock. This is a coastal survey marker at the spot where the Pillar of Solomon was cut down in 1985, the Gulf of Aqaba. See, because we today call it the Gulf of Aqaba, but in the old times, it was called the Red Sea. 
in Arabia, marking the location of the crossing of the children of Israel. The pillar had Hebrew carving with the words Moses, Mizraim, Egypt, water, death, Pharaoh, Solomon, Yahweh. So Ron White concluded it was re-erected to mark the spot of the crossing. So this is looking from Saudi Arabia, exit point, looking towards Egypt, the entrance point. Kind of interesting, huh? This is Joseph's step pyramid. Although Ron did not discover this site, he did figure out that this complex was built by Joseph, who was known as Imhotep in Egyptian history. Mr. Wyatt found a series of underground silos designed to store massive amounts of grain, we believe is weed, for the seven-year famine. In Joseph's day, visitors entered this central hallway to purchase grain during the famine. This is looking down on, of course, there was a a, a lid on it, a roof on it, looking down in that area. This is another shot looking down into the silos. So this was all filled with grain, and then they would learn they would go down there and get the grain as it went down. This is uh, along the central um, area there where many chambers and cashiers of various languages sold the wheat grain to visitors. This is the front entrance to where they believe people went in to purchase the grain. Now, the interesting part here is, see, there's a very small entrance to where only one person, two people can get in. In other words, you can't go in and just raid this because this is the big value of the area. This is the door that people went into for seven years to get food to feed them and their families. So this is really big. It had to be very secure, and it was. All of this explained in the book and the DVD. You got to get it. Hundred bucks to save a soul from hell, it's well worth it, my brothers and sisters. Well worth it. If you go to watchprophecyclub.com, we have a very awesome special for you. We're offering seven two and a half hour DVDs valued at two hundred and ten dollars, normally thirty dollars each, for a gift of twenty dollars. All of them you can watch for a gift of twenty dollars, and you can stream them all seven for the next 90 days, all for a gift of $20. Now, here are the seven you get to watch. Russian defector invasion warning with Stanislav Law of Lunev. This is the guy that came over and said, yes, they've smuggled suitcase nuclear bombs in America. This is the guy. You want to see him? Here it is. And then Russia's secret weapon to defeat America, Bill Snevelin, talking about scalar wave. Russian, Amer Russian bear awakes me, talking about how the Russian bear has been awaking. And the Storm Judgment Revival, this is what we talked about a lot from Shane Warren when he's talking about how he saw a storm, an economic storm, and then the Gulf Lakes open up all the way down to Mexico, things like that. Top Secret Soviet War Plans by Jeff Nyquist. This is the guy that researches various Russian defectors. He's the one guy that brought us Stanislav Lunev, and he talks about how they plan to take out America. Then we had Pastor Massey talk on Babylonians are coming. He had like seven different dreams or visions also talking about the fall of America, and my favorite speaker, Henry Groover, talking on I Saw Subs Attack America. Now, here's how you can watch all seven of them for a gift of $20. Go to watchprophecyclub.com, and then you want to click right here. Or actually, just scroll down to here, and it'll look like this. Click on Russia and Bible Prophecy. Click right here, and then you can go in, click here, you sign up. Now, this is a really good deal to get Russian Video 7 DVD bundle for $20 for three months. That's a good deal. But the best deal is right here. You get you can get $20 a month forever 
and you can watch any a number of over 300 DVDs. But the best deal is right here. Get an annual subscription, $200 a year, and you can have all of these 300 DVDs at your access anytime you want to, and you can do that by going to watchprophecyclub.com. The best deal is not $20 a month. The best deal is $200 a year, and you can watch over 300 DVDs. Really good deal. Watchprophecyclub.com. Go check it out, $20 a month or $200 a year. I thought this was interesting, so I want to bring this to you. This is actually a map of how the power grid is shared because we tend to think, say, for example, down here in Texas, oh, well, we would never have a power outage. Yeah, well, we used to say that until not this past winter, but winter before last when a lot of us, including me, my my electricity was on for 30 minutes, off for 30 minutes, on for 30 minutes, off for 30 minutes, for about 48 hours. And, I mean, I had to take <laughs> candles and all kinds of things to keep things from freezing up. Fortunately, we didn't have any bad damage. But that was because of blankets and I had candles. Now, I want you to notice here, on the West Coast, we want to think, oh, well, okay, so if there's a problem here, that won't affect us over here. It won't affect us down here. Well, if there's a problem any place in this area, various places, if maybe not the whole thing could be shut down. Same thing if there's a problem anywhere in the northeast, all of it could be shut down. Texas kind of seems to be its own country, but the point is there, any place there could be a problem. So it could all be shut down, which is why I'd recommend you go to josephskitchen.com. And the little bit difference here. One is you want to get a machine package. I've talked about that before. That's what grinds your wheat berries into flour, put it into a flour bread machine, push a button two hours, 20 minutes later, along with six other ingredients, and you have a loaf of bread, wonderful loaf, hot loaf of bread. Then you decide how much food you want to have. You want to have food for two people a year, four people one year, six people one year. But here's the new part. We just started offering this. We've had a lot of people say, yeah, well, what happens when the electricity goes off? So I searched all kinds of different remedies. What do you do when your electricity goes off? I mean, I spent many days researching it and it seemed like i had somebody email me hey you know this right here is real yeah but they're out of them okay the, the people got to have them okay so you can say well there's a really good one over here but if they're out of stock they're out of stock okay we're not going to help us so here's what i found i really like this little unit i've got a set right here i could reach over and yeah i will here here in a week or so we're going to get an, another new unit and I'm going to show you how it all works. But I've got this. I've tested it. I mean, I've actually had this laying on my lawn. I've hooked my electricity, my my uh, my computer. This computer has been hooked up to it. Uh, my bread machine. Here's what I found. Now, so I'm going to start with the bad news because I figure if if I'll tell you the bad news, then you know the rest of it is all good good news. And the bad news is this: since this little generator is powered by the sun. If you have a totally cloudy day and the sun is not out at all, then it is not going to power your refrigerator and you will get a warm refrigerator. It is not strong enough to do that. Now, here in a few weeks, we plan to offer another one that is going to be strong enough to power it even in such a situation. However, it's going to cost over twice the price of this little rascal. Right now, this is probably the best deal going out there. I'm talking about somebody that has them in stock, 
so that they can get them out to you. Now, what we're doing to let you know, we're going to do this for about another week. We're going to see how many orders come in. And then based upon how many orders come in, then we're going to place our first large order. And I'm guessing that that first large order will be uh, 40 or 50 of them. But we will see. We'll see how many you order. You order a lot of these, and we'll we'll get them. And we can get them in uh, three to five days. So at least that's that's what we're told. Now, let me explain it. So this is the unit. Now, think of this as just a battery, okay? But it's not just any battery. There's three kinds of batteries. Lead acid, like you put in your car, that's garbage for what we're talking about. Lithium, like is in your cell phone, that's still garbage because a lithium only has about 500 cycles. That means when you charge it up, you run it down, charge it. And don't charge, don't run it below 20% or you'll kill the, the lithium. So lithium is not good for this. This is what they call an iron phosphate battery. And this particular one has about 2,500 cycles, 2,500 cycles. And it can go to zero, though we don't recommend you take it to zero. No battery likes to go to zero. Uh, you can charge it all the way, or you can discharge it all the way down to 20%, and then between 20 to 80%, it charges back up pretty quickly. From 80 up to 100, it, it takes a long time to charge. So we don't recommend you, unless you have just plenty of time and plenty of energy to do that. So anyway, it has four 220-watt solar panels. And it has 1,800 continuous watts. The reason that's important is because that little mill that grinds the wheat berries and flour takes about 1,450. So we didn't want to get it too close. We want to have not. We don't want to get it right too close to the ceiling. So it needs to have 1,800 watts. This does. It also has a 1,488 hour watt hour storage. What does that mean? Well, my electric, my, my uh, refrigerator out here uses about 3,000 watts to run for 24 hours. So that's the reason I'm telling you this is not powerful enough by itself to power a refrigerator for 24 hours. It would need to be at least 3,000 watt hours. However, to jump up to that, based upon my calculations and what I've seen here, it's, it's not worth the price. I'll show you a better way to do it. So here's what they try to sell you. They try to sell you a big storage, but they only give you two little 100-watt solar panels. That's not enough. Then some of them will even, of course, that's only 600 hours or 600 watts. But what we do is instead we offer, our program is we put together four 220-watt solar panels, four of them, because you don't get any power out of the battery unless you put it in with the solar panels. So it's better to have more power in the solar panels and less power in the battery. So what we're trying to do is get you a, ba a budget. We're trying to get you something so that it will at least make bread even on a cloudy day. And then most of the rest of the time, it'll do really, really powerful. And that's what this is. So with this particular setup, like we're offering, you're going to have four 220-watt solar panels. That's pretty powerful. So that means it's going to charge your battery during the day, but as it's charging, you can still make bread, run your computer, your cell phones, and a refrigerator. This will run a refrigerator unless you get a cloudy day. Uh, it's, it's powerful enough, and probably your refrigerator can go a couple hours with no electricity. I haven't been able to test that yet. Uh, I did try to see if it would go 24 hours, and it, it no, it won't. 
But this is a nice little unit. I've, I've had it now for a couple of weeks, and I really like it. So here's the bottom line. On a sunny day, it'll make three loaves of bread, run your fridge, your computer, your phones. On a partly cloudy day, it'll do about half that. But on a cloudy day, all of them, they're, they're all like that. Okay, If you have clouds, you don't have any power. And it's now partly cloudy is partly power. So what we suggest and yes, we're going to have a more powerful unit here in a couple of weeks. But understand, it's going to be over twice the price. So if you're looking for something to what I think will do the job, to make bread, and to keep you up and going, to, how do I say this? For the best bang for the buck, this is what I think it is. Now, yes, I'm looking forward to the more, more powerful unit. And it has not actually arrived. We have actually paid money for it and ordered it, and it's on the way. And as soon as I test, I'll let you know about that. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to be over twice the price. So unless you want to spend twice the price, this is probably the unit that you really want to get right here. Four 220-watt solar panels, and you can use this to make bread. Delicious, homemade, healthy, nutritious, homemade bread. And these are loaves that I've actually made and I've actually cooked and eaten and cut and everything. You get them at josephskitchen.com. Right down here is where you go to order this solar generator. And if you're thinking about getting gold or silver, we're going to send you to cornerstoneassetmetals.com telling your Prophecy Club. <clears throat> they love Prophecy Club people because they're informed. And I also want you to go to this. I can't say the words on this page. You have to look. So you go to this location and then you search these three words. Watch the water. I'll say those words. And you watch this guy, and he's going to tell you, and apparently he is very convincing based upon the people responding. What he's saying is they are already putting poison in the tap and in the bottled water, and Leslie confirms that with a prophet she gave back in 2011. She's not going to be able to trust the tap water or the bottled water. So if you want to get a Berkey water filter, you go to prophecyclub.com, you click Berkey's. I recommend at least you get this one. This is the, the, the big Berkey. A lot of people are getting the Imperials in here. I have the Crown Berkey, which has eight filters. It's enough to filter water for a whole neighborhood. And I want to remind you, this is what the ships look like off of China. So a lot of the things that we are expecting to be coming from China... Not coming. They're still in a big lockdown. I just watched Fox News last night. Still, they have locked down China. <laughs> they aren't even making a lot of the computers, a lot of things. They've just stopped China from moving. That means it's going to affect us. If you're thinking about getting an EMP shield device so your car will start or your computers in your home will not be corrupted or fried the computer chips when there's some kind of an EMP blast or a suitcase move, then we'll send you to empshield.com. And if you enter the promo code PROPHECY, you'll get a $50 discount, and it helps your prophecy. Click like, share, subscribe, and send to a friend.